So we want to make sense of a fast-changing world, Riz. Thanks, Ola. And yeah, well, I tried to read up a little bit because I wanted to sound very sort of intelligent about the U.S. elections. And well, first here of all, I got, I got Scarvland shot, uh, spot, spot. Yeah, so yeah. he's probably going to be sweating now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm a big Scarland. fan of his. I'm friends with him, and he's. I'm going to tell him I took a slot at, at Simon. He's going to be very upset. Yeah, you're, yeah, he was here digitally I know. yesterday. Yeah. Could we see what, what I saw when I tried to understand American politics? And maybe you can comment on it later on. Well, this now, actually... Now, I this is... Sorry, uh, I, Mats is and here. I remember the first time I was in a male fraternity with Brother Vico. You know what? Shoot him. I want some outside time right now. Baseball. If I can't take my board games into heaven, it's war. And I will bring pizza to give him all of it. Perhaps P.F. Chang for myself. I want to welcome everybody to Taiwan. I suspect we have baskets of fruit. Big nice guy. And his partners know he has the decency to allow us to come over whenever and watch some cable. Except if something's on. Wiener. What's that? <laughs> no, it was Horse actually. Rack. Everybody's a winner, except you. Yes, we're gay. <laughs> yeah, it was actually when I tried to sort of read up on some of the, the debates, I got into something called bad lip sync. And it's a new trend online where you take people, you try to find a voice and match that with strange things that people said. So I was actually trying to make sense of that for the first minutes. But uh, coming back to more serious note on the election. Well, it's actually no difference from what really Americans understand about politics anyway, so <laughs> it doesn't really matter. But, but no, I actually was thinking about this because, you know, I've talked a lot about the media and you were asking me how the media shapes ideas and thoughts. And I always, you know, I, I mean, I do have a go at my own industry quite a bit because we tend to fall into stereotypes. And... And I realize that, you know, especially when it comes to places like Africa, you know, we think of Africa in 3D, disease, disaster, <laughs> destruction, and, you know. So um, I, I, I sort of thought, well, I, I want to dispel some of these misconceptions that were sort of thrown out there in, in recent times. And I had these slides, which I thought would just help to dispel. This is not the equivalent of mobile phone in Africa, in the same way that this is not the equivalent of hands-free, <laughs> nor is the North African version <laughs> which is a, a little more, a little less painful. This here that you see next is not the African iPod. And this is not an apple in, in Africa. And these are the kind of, you know, things we keep showing. And of course there, smart TV is not preceded by this, which is safe TV. So these are some, some of the misconceptions we have. There is still a long way to go, as you'll see by this slide. Potholes the next 9,600 kilometers. <laughs> so I think this is how we portray Africa in the media. And of course, India doesn't get a much better run either, as you'll see with this slide. Their version of hands-free. <laughs> that looks like underwear. It's very worrying. Uh, this next one here is mobile security. I know quite what happened to the screen lock. And uh, the next one here is an airbag. So even if you're texting while driving, you can be a little safer. Uh, while we have this slide here. Well, I mean, when Google launched, I don't think they were expecting this, Gogola. And when they celebrated, they didn't do it like this, chilling the champagne on the air conditioners. So what it comes down to, and this last slide sort of says it all for me, it's basically, oh no, sorry, this is the Indian technicians. You still trust them, no matter what age they are. Look at this, computer software. And he looks like he's really focused. So this next slide here shows really what it comes down to is the reality and the expectation. <laughs> 
And I would not want to be that tattoo artist. <laughs> and sadly, this is all a reflection of what it comes down to, and that's the American election. Um, because it's amazing they spent billions of dollars, uh, you know, persuading the public how things are going to be different, and the reality and the expectations are really not that much uh, different. So it is, it's really hard to make sense of, of a country that can spend so much money uh, on, well, essentially keeping the same guy in office. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I don't get it. No, but what, what do you think, will there be any sort of major changes? Will there be changes impacting us or other parts of the world? I think a lot of us are hoping, and I'm, I'm based, you know, mostly in Washington, D.C., and, and I'm hoping that um, this time around uh, Barack Obama has more, the, I guess, feels more empowered mm -hmm. to make decisions. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I've, I've, I've interviewed a lot of congressmen and senators and so on, and the congressmen, I mean, they, they, they have to get ready for re-election every two years. Mm -hmm. and, and a couple of them are very honest. They say, look, you know, as soon as I get elected, I start my fundraising for the next election. Yeah, yeah. So I, I asked one of them, uh, I said, how, how do you ever do any work? He said, well, really, it's hard to focus on work when all you're doing is getting re-elected and you're focusing on fundraising. So I hope this time around with four years that Barack Obama can feel a little more empowered and what, uh, what and do you do think would have happened if Romney won? Would that have been dramatically changing? Well, I definitely would have given up my green card, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, it, it's scary because, you know, again, each person comes in um, with a big promise. And sometimes people just want change. Uh, there's uh, Malcolm Gladwell, the author of Blink, Tipping Point, everything, wrote in one of his books about how Americans really fall for a certain image. And Romney fit that image. Mm. That kind of Reagan-esque... JFK, you know, full head of hair, kind of stature and celebrity look about him. He looks like he could be out of Dallas, you know, mm -hmm. the series, as well as the place. Um, <laughs> so um, he, he really, uh, you know, uh, I don't know, he'd have, he'd have had a hard time, the same as anyone else, and I don't think he could have made much difference. This is just my opinion, but, you know. What, what do you think? We discussed that briefly yesterday. What do you think the media's role is? Do you sort of, do you create the crisis or do you report the crisis? Or how is that wave-like motion? Because like, like we said with, with, on, a, on a panel here earlier, it's like, oh, those guys are having a crisis over it. Oh, sorry, guys, we were inconsiderate here. But we don't really feel that. But then after a while, when you've read it and you've heard it, you know, you, you kind of... Most, I mean, this is kind of, I, I guess, insider but it's, it's illustrative, and that is that one of the most worrying things about the, the main TV channels is that if you go into any TV channel, what you see are lots of television channels being displayed and on, and all of them showing the competitors. And each editor is looking at the others and saying, why aren't we doing that, why aren't we doing that? And so there is this kind of lemming mentality where if one channel carries something and the other one doesn't, immediately there are questions asked, why aren't we doing that? Mm -hmm. And it's kind of ironic that, you know, there is a great similarity between all the channels. People ask me, you know, what's the difference between the BBC, CNN, and Al Jazeera, these places that I've worked? And, and I say, actually, there's more similarity than difference. Mm -hmm. And I, I was interviewed in South Africa once about this. They said, how would you describe the difference? I said, well, I, I tended, you know, I used to say at one interview, and I left uh, the BBC to join CNN. I said, the BBC is like a Rolls Royce, and CNN's like a Ferrari. So the BBC has this history and this kind of, you know, long-term presence and everything, and you have a nice, comfortable ride getting from A to B, you barely hear the traffic outside. Mm. And CNN, you know, has to be there first. You're screaming around the corners and, like, it's hair-raising, are you going to make it or not? But you tend to get there first. So then someone asked me afterwards, well, where does Al Jazeera fit into this? I said, well, ironically, for Al Jazeera English, you know, people think we're a Hummer. But actually, we're more like a Toyota Prius, <laughs> you know? It's true, we're kind of the new age, we're fitting in into this in a very different way. What I think is um, good is that um, the modern, uh, the digital revolution has really allowed people to access information from so many places they can judge for themselves. Mm. So the media does, in answer to your question, 
uh, help to keep the crisis alive, sometimes generated by wanting to be sensationalist, but people have an option to look past it now. That's one of the key things. A question that I've been discussing with many, pe uh, many people, and some uh, believe that there's sort of their corridors of power, secret discussions where sort of the, the world is divided, uh, and others think that, oh, no, that's just pure conspirational theories, that, that doesn't make sense. Uh, you've been in the, in, in sort of, in, in up close with all the leaders of the world, or many of the largest leaders of the world, interviewing them, moderating them, and so forth. What's your view on that? Do you think there are secret rooms where big corporations meet and say, you know, screw the rainforest, we'll do this I, Well, instead. I don't know if it's quite as easy as that, because there is more accountability now, but I would say that um, there's a lot more that goes on behind the scenes. Um, that we often hear for, by accident. If you recall George Bush not realizing, George W. Bush not realizing that his microphone was on, was asking Tony Blair if he could bomb Al Jazeera's headquarters. And of course, it all went out there, and Tony Blair's like, uh, you realize you have your military there too. <laughs> it's an ally in Qatar. Um, so sometimes things get out, but I don't think there's any really you know, major, major conspiracy. I think there's a lot of little things going on in circles. Mm -hmm. That, that, you know, I, I have a theory about the anthrax attacks that took place in the US after 9-11. Uh, after I'm, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. All these people who say every Jewish person was phoned in, in the Twin Towers <laughs> to get out on time and stuff. No. I, um, but the anthrax attacks just didn't fit the model of what would be considered a terrorist attack. Mm -hmm. Tiny dosage sent to one of the American networks, you know, uh, and, and sadly a postal worker in, I think it was the ABC postal room, died. Mm -hmm. Um, because she was already quite ill, so she was a bit more vulnerable. But this wasn't designed to kill anyone, it was just designed to scare. And it just seemed to be just too right, the timing. They wanted to scare the public into, you know, stay behind the government, we're there for you, we're protecting you. But I generally don't believe in the conspiracy theories too much. I mean, there's things that go on in, in closed, you know, closed rooms, but not, not to that degree, I think. What do, you, what do you think about sort of uh, when we were last here on stage, a couple of years ago, we spoke about the Arab Spring, uh, we... Uh, we since then, we've had Reclaim Wall Street, and yeah. there's a lot of things happening with a lot of people grouping together, mainly using social media or, or mm -hmm. gathering around the cause rather than an ism. They're not communisms, they're just pissed off at Wall Street. Right, or, right. Uh, how, do you, how do you see that panning out? And, and well, you know, the thing, you know, people are not using the term Arab Spring so much now. They, no. they certainly use the word Arab Awakening, because you can wake up, but you don't have to get out of bed. And it feels <laughs> like that sometimes, you know, that people are saying, what real change is there? You know, mm -hmm. and the same with the, the Wall Street. I mean, bonuses are still being paid the way they were. Banks still, to a large degree, operate the way they did. So I don't know how much real change it's creating. It creates some awareness and people talk about it. But I watched the, uh, the Occupy movement in D.C. You know, the kind of tents just diminished slower and smaller and smaller. And then finally there's one guy, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's sad. But um, there is certainly more discussion out there. That's the only thing. At what point it actually creates a major difference, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I always joke there's, there's a lot of perception that needs to be changed. And I give this example because I moved to America in 1993 uh, from the BBC to CNN. And I used to always tell this story, I thought, you know, it's a joke I would love to share with people, about a woman who got on a bus with a baby. And when she got on the bus, the bus driver said, that is an ugly baby. That is, that's the ugliest baby I've ever seen. It's hideous. So this poor woman, young woman, went to the back of the bus holding her baby, crying her eyes out. And an elderly woman came and sat next to her and says, why are you crying? She said, oh, it's nothing, it's okay. She said, no, tell me, why are you crying? No, really, I, look, it'll help you to talk about it. Tell me. And the young woman said, well, that bus driver was really nasty to me. It was horrible. And the elderly lady said, why? why? What, what did you do? She said, no, nothing. I just got on the bus. He was just horrible to me. So she was really upset, the elderly woman. She said, look, 
Go there and give him a piece of your mind. Because if you don't, he's going to do this to someone else. Don't let him get away with this. You've paid your fare. I want you to get up right now and go and tell him off. I'll hold your monkey. So, <laughs> so I, I told this joke in Atlanta. And the first, well, one of the first times I told it, this person said to me, that is a racist joke. And I said, why? And they said, well, of course, it's about a black woman. And I said, not at all. But of course, they, the assumptions, yeah, yeah. That I suddenly discovered this racial divide, which I'd never experienced in the same way in England. So then I had to start saying, well, this, this uh, white English woman got on a bus with her baby and <laughs> kind of destroyed the joke a bit. But I say that, you know, karma, and coming from an Indian background, I, I believe in karma, that what goes around comes around. Because that same bus driver was uh, going along on his route uh, one afternoon, and you know, a lot of the senior citizens ride because they have passes that give them free rides at a certain time. So some elderly ladies got on his bus. And while he was driving along, um, after a few moments, one of the elderly ladies came forward and tapped him. And he turned around while he was driving, and she had a handful of peanuts. So he said, oh, thank you, and he started eating the peanuts. And a few minutes later, another elderly lady came, tapped him, and gave him some peanuts. He was like, oh, thank you very much. When the third woman came and tapped him and gave him peanuts, he said, listen, that's very nice if you give me all these peanuts. I'm enjoying them, but uh, if you give me all your peanuts, there'll be none for you, you know. She said, oh, we can't eat these. We don't have any teeth. He said, then why do you buy them? She said, oh, we like the chocolate coating. So <laughs> what goes around comes around. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do but, with the election, but, no, you know. But, uh, no, but a, story, a good story has its own stage. Well, it's, more, it's I, like the moral of karma, you yeah. know. But uh, speaking about India and China and some of the other regions, what do you, th what do you think will happen there? Sort of will, will, will the economic uh, gravity shift towards, I mean, for the, I think for the last 1,600 years, China and India has been the largest uh, yeah. economies, and now they haven't for, for some you years? Know, you know, it's interesting. I, a lot of times I hear people say China is a rising superpower. When actually, I get corrected sometimes by Chinese people who say, actually, it's you know, a re-emerging superpower, yeah, because yeah. for so long it was a superpower, and so much has come from China. Um, and uh, same with, with India. I mean, India brought so much to the world um, over the centuries. And of course, we, we have these, like I showed, the negative perceptions, you know, based on what we see as you know, this kind of impoverished uh, uh, nation. And the thing is that America, to a large degree, is living in denial. I mean, it's an incredibly confident place and very, you know, vibrant and everyone's, you know, positive. I love this about the U.S. But they live in denial with, uh, you know, position, their position in the world. It's very easy with a lack of media coverage of the rest of the world to be aware of how the world is changing around. I, I you know, I, I went up to um, Inverness last summer. I have a, a six-year-old daughter. She was five at the time. And I take her on a month-long summer trip every year. I brought her to Sweden, and we were out boating in the archipelago for the first part. And then we went up to Inverness to the Loch, uh, Loch Ness to look for the Loch Ness monster. Mm -hmm. And what we found was Chinese and Indian tourists. Mm -hmm. And the boat was filled with Chinese and Indian tourists. Mm -hmm. And I mean, talking about really, you know, from India and China, not immigrants who were living in Britain thought, oh, we'll go up to Loch Ness. Um, it's amazing that the communities are spreading. The middle class is growing there. They have a huge buying power and influence. And I think. The West is very slow to recognize this level of growth. Mm. You know, Brazil, you could say it's, it's up there too, but it's a little more quiet. You don't you know, come across Brazilians in the same way as, mm. as Chinese and, and Indians and so on. And um, you know, Turks, again, Turkey is rising to a large degree, but the Chinese and Indian buying power is growing incredibly. And I think it's foolish for anyone to ignore the impact it's going to have on the West. 
ending with, with sort of we, something that we've discussed quite a lot, that there needs to be a reason that is authentic. People need to care about what they're doing. People don't care about companies that don't care or that don't have an attitude, or whether it's badass, as in Per yeah, yeah. example, or it's really, really good, as Stefan Kruk and Goodell and other companies. Do you see that when you, when you speak to, to leaders and interview them and so forth, or if you're in the UN, is sort of being good more fashionable? And is it sort of authentically good or lip-sync lip good? I, I think this is where I would say uh, America is a lot more aware. People are much, much more aware of the consequences of the things they do. Mm. And, you know, I'm still shocked when I go to other parts of the world to see people litter. Yeah. You know, and of course, I grew up in Britain where people would litter, and, you know, it wasn't such a big deal. But now if I see someone drop something, I get very upset. Mm. So, um, you know, America and obviously, you know, large parts of Europe and Scandinavia in general is a, is a great example. There's a, more of an awareness and an active awareness and lifestyle changes. You know, you don't leave the tap running while brushing your teeth or leave all the lights on. And it's not because of the cost. It's because of the fact there's an awareness that this is wasteful. Um, so definitely the U.S. Is, is moving that way. And I think a lot of that's uh, filtering into corporations as the, um, the people they recruit are looking for corporations that have something positive in, in there, built in. So people can be proud of the brand from a number of angles, not just the fact they pay well or they look after their staff mm -hmm. or there's a great you know, canteen. So I think there is a greater awareness and I think that will grow and I hope that will grow. And it's certainly already emerging visibly in, in the US and, and certainly in parts of Europe, I think. And it's good to see that. You know, but as I say, it's always, it comes down to change in, in mindsets. You know. Well, that's the business we're in. We try to change a lot of mindsets here. But, I, I was uh, going to say, you know, with mindsets having to change, I'll leave you with one last story someone just told me about recently. And again, it comes down to how, you know, Barack Obama, they tried all this stuff to pin on him. You know, he's, he's Muslim. He's, you know, he's not really American. He's, he's more Kenyan. And it's still there in some minds because I heard about a flight uh, recently where the pilot came onto the tannoy and he said to everyone, Ladies and gentlemen, we're having trouble with our, uh, our airplane. We're going to have to lose the luggage, I'm afraid. You know, we have to shed our cargo for your safety. Um, so forgive me, but you're going to lose all your uh, luggage here, but we have to shed that to lighten the load. So they, they eject all the, the cargo, but after a while, the pilot comes back on and says, uh, uh, ladies and gentlemen, we tried, it didn't work. I'm, uh, you know, sad to say we're going to have to start ejecting passengers so the majority of you can live. And to be fair, we're going to do this alphabetically. So he said, any Africans out there? <laughs> and there was silence. Any black people out there? <laughs> Still silence. Colored people? No silence. And then at the back, this little African kid said to his mom, Mom, aren't we like black, African, colored? She said, we're Zulus. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very well, much, Chris. Pleasure. Thanks. <laughs>